song today was Worst For Me by Noah Davis. Highly recommend his new album. Oh my goodness, it is an absolute banger. On a different note, today we're going to be talking about grief. Unfortunately, it's part of the human experience to experience death, the loss of someone that we care very deeply for. And these experiences can drastically impact mental health in both the short-term and the long-term. According to a Swiss psychiatrist, uh, Kubler-Ross, there's five main stages of grief. Uh, They're denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But is it really that straightforward? Kubler-Ross has stated that these stages are not linear, and some people may not experience any of them. So, Someone may skip some stages or experience them out of order. The first stage is denial. Instead of becoming completely overwhelmed with grief, we end up denying it, don't accept it, and kind of like let it seep in a little at a time. It's basically like your body's natural defense mechanism saying, uh, there's only so much I can handle at once. So many people feel numb during this stage. And once the denial and shock starts to fade, of the healing process begins. And at this point, those feelings that you were once suppressing get to come to the surface. The second stage is anger. And anger is often used as a defense mechanism. Side note, that is an important fact that could be applied to uh, any area of life. Therefore, it is pretty common for people to appear to sit in this emotion when dealing with grief. Anger is very valid when dealing with grief. Uh, death comes in many shapes and sizes. We don't always have a heads up or a chance to say goodbye, which can cause an array of emotions. Many mental health uh Professionals say that anger is actually a really necessary part of healing grief and that once you feel it fully, you can begin to heal. I personally think this really depends on the context of the situation surrounding the death, as in people may stay angry about the situation for extended periods of time as they attempt to work through it. And as was stated earlier, these stages are not linear, so you may not experience them in order. And sometimes you may come back to one and then go to a different one and come back again. So it's it's definitely not a linear experience. No one experiences it exactly the same way. The third stage is bargaining. And in a way, this stage is like false hope. You might falsely make yourself believe that you can avoid grief through a type of um, negotiation. So it's like, if you change this, I'll change that. For example, I swear if they live, I will never smoke another cigarette ever again. You're so desperate to get your life back to how it was before the grief. You are willing to make a major life change in an attempt towards some kind of normality. Guilt is a common wingman of bargaining, and this is when the what-if statement starts seeping in. I'm sure we have all felt this in some degree or another in life, the the endless what-if scenarios that go through our heads. The fourth step is depression, and depression is very commonly accepted as a form of grief. We seem to be very lenient towards people who have just experienced a loss, which is great, 
and it's super important to have a good support system. This stage represents the emptiness we feel when we're living in uh, reality and realize the person or the situation is gone or the situation is over. And in this stage, you might withdraw from life. You feel numb, you live in a fog, and some people just do not want to get out of bed. The world might seem like too much and too overwhelming to face. You don't want to be around others, you don't feel like talking, and you just experience a lot of hopelessness. Some people even experience suicidal thoughts. One side note that I did want to pin into this section, this stage, is just making sure that you don't fall into learned helplessness. Um, This is when a person basically gets conditioned to act the way that they are because they either like the type of attention they're getting or they are getting out of undesirable things in life like having to help out around the house and so on people basically say hey i know you're like really upset about this let me cook you dinner let me clean the house whatever and you just let them do it even though you might be feeling well enough to do it and you kind of just take advantage of that and those people that are helping you just want to help but it It is exactly what it sounds like. It is learned helplessness. So this also goes for the people helping out as well. Just something to watch out for. The final stage is acceptance. This doesn't mean that it's okay that the person or the pet or whatever has passed away. This is more so that you realize that this is what life is like now without them and that it will be okay, just different. And you know that you can live like this. When people are grieving, our bodies can do some pretty nasty stuff. Many people report physical symptoms like stomach pain and loss of appetite, intestinal upsets, sleep disturbances, loss of energy, and a bunch of other stuff. Mourning can seriously test our natural defense systems as well, so existing illnesses may worsen or new conditions may develop, intense emotional reactions are likely to occur and these reactions include anxiety attacks, chronic fatigue, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Now I see death as a transition, not that that makes it hurt any less when you're the one being left behind in a sense, and this may be an an unpopular opinion especially in the psychology field, but this is just my hot take. I have had more than my fair share of experiences with the paranormal and near-death experiences. Uh, I actually should have died when I was 15, and for some reason that I'm still not sure on, uh, that obviously didn't happen. I still think about that day often. If anyone wants to hear that story, let me know on my Instagram. Also, follow me, if you don't already, at psychdykepodcast, P-S-Y-C-D-Y-K-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. In any case, I know without a doubt there's something else going on that we aren't always very aware of. I spent approximately six years doing paranormal research. I met a ton of people from around the world, was nominated and won paranormal awards. It was a lot of fun and it was so, so eye-opening on so many levels. Uh, There were things that I saw with my own two eyes that I would have been very skeptical about if anyone else would have told me about them. But anyway, in my own personal opinion, death 
is a transition. But again, this does not make the process any easier for us who stay here. I feel like losing someone, especially in a tragic way, is one of the most painful things anyone can experience. It makes you question everything, why these things happen, how it happened, why it had to happen the way it did. And, and so, you know, minds just wander. Something I really wanted to touch on in this episode is the loss of pets or the animals in our lives. At this point in my life, I love animals more than most people. If you've ever had any kind of pet, you know that they become a huge part of your life. They're there 24-7. Maybe they are your emotional support through tough times. They aren't nearly as judgmental as humans can be. It's very easy to love an animal. When you lose that type of support or friend in your life, it can be so painful. It's even worse when they are taken suddenly or in a horrible way, like being hit by a car or having someone abuse them while you're not around. And someday I will probably tell my own story on losing my heart horse and about the non-existent livestock laws we have in this province. I can freely admit that losing my horse was the single most painful thing I've ever gone through, and I really don't say that lightly. I am not okay. <laughs> that was that was over three years ago, and I am still not okay. <laughs> On one particular day within the first year of losing him, I had to take a mental health day from work. I decided I need to reach out and find something that would like, help me work through some of the pain I was feeling. And again, I'm a fairly spiritual person, and I feel like I don't blatantly ask for much from the universe very often because it's not something that I believe in. I don't think that we should be um, begging the universe for anything because I think we all are on certain paths for a reason, but I digress. On this day, I did ask, though. There is a bookstore in town that I have spent way too much money in, but I absolutely love it. Uh, I always seem to find what I need in there, so I sent up a signal to whoever or whatever was listening and said, you know how I feel, you know what happened, I need help, so please send me some help. I walked into the store and turned a corner and I just stared at the shelves and I had no idea where to even begin. And I shit you not, I swear on my horse's grave, a book fell off the shelf down the aisle I was standing in, and I picked it up, and it was a book written by a psychic medium, medium from Michigan on her communications with her client's deceased pets. And I just stood there staring at this book like, that did not just happen. Like, dang, the universe delivered today. Uh, if you're interested in the book, I absolutely love it. Uh, I've read it multiple times. It's called Tales from the Afterlife. Tales is in T-A-I-L-S. Tales from the Afterlife by Christy Robinette. And this book really gave me hope that animal souls have things in common with human souls in regards to the afterlife. It was so nice to hear all these validating stories and how they helped clients heal from the loss of their pet. So when it comes to humans and humans in our immediate family, we are entitled to bereavement leave, according to the province of Saskatchewan anyway. 
So what I found on the Saskatchewan.ca website um, for bereavement leave, um, it says employees in Saskatchewan must work for 13 weeks before they can take five days of unpaid bereavement leave for an immediate family member. They can take the leave only within a week of the funeral date. The province defines immediate family members as a spouse, parent, grandparent, child, grandchild, sibling, or sibling spouse of the employee or his or her spouse. Uh, if you have a nice boss, uh, maybe they might even give you time off if a pet dies, but that is really up to them, I guess. I actually had a friend tell me last night that his ex-employer um, asked him for an obituary with the date of the funeral of a funeral that he wanted to go to of one of his really good friends because they needed proof. And I just thought that that was a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> On to another subject. Uh, the quote, time heals all wounds, really bothers me. In my own opinion, I feel like people just get used to a new normal. And they can still be hurting, like, a lot. But it's like, you just get used to living your day-to-day -day in a different way. And obviously, everyone handles grief in different ways. Someone who was mentally healthy before can develop some mental illnesses following a death. Like depression, for example. It's super normal for everyone to be upset and just a bit of a mess following a loss. But what turns it into depression is the amount of time and the degree of the mental instability. So if a year later someone still hasn't returned to work or hasn't returned to work full time and just can't get out of bed, they went from grieving to like full-blown depression. I feel like a year is like a huge time period too. I Usually it would be like within like six to eight weeks most likely. <laughs> As far as treating grief is concerned, um, there's actually quite a bit of controversy um, as to if therapy does any good, and I say that in quotations. Um, but what is very clear is that if you do go to therapy, or you're a therapist treating someone who's grieving, the relationship between you and the therapist or the client is key. A framework of qualities consists of empathetic presence, gentle conversation, available space, and engaging trust. And this is huge for any client-therapist relationship, not just working around grief, but in general. And if your therapist is not these things, uh, maybe perhaps reconsider your time spent with them. Research has shown that when it comes to coping with loss, the relationship between the client and the therapist is very important. It can really make or break the effectiveness of grief counseling. And like I said, this goes for many things in therapy, to be honest. If a therapist is saying that you will get over it and better days will come, or the darkest hours are before the dawn, or some other cliche crap, that's demeaning. And lazy, in my opinion. And God don't get me started on the age-old joke of therapists asking you, and how does that make you feel? Uh, no. No. Just no. <laughs> the last small point I would argue, however, is that when it comes to traumatic deaths, like seeing someone commit suicide, or seeing a horrible car accident and seeing someone die, or having a family member murdered, or so on, people can end up with PTSD, 
Uh, and this can be treated differently than grief. Um, and this is another reason I recommend people seeking out someone with specialized training if they do know that that is what they're dealing with. Some people don't even realize that what they are experiencing intertwined with their grief is symptoms of PTSD, but a good psychologist will be able to help with that. On the flip side of things, contrary to some beliefs, animals grieve for their human and animal friends as well. And I will quickly share one example that still makes me misty in the eyes to this day. I used to board at a barn where most of the horses all lived out in this massive green pasture together. Everybody held their little cliques that they hung out with most of the time and everyone kind of just like co-mingled. Altogether, I would say that there was probably about 25 to 30 horses. And one night, a mare got a bad case of colic and ended up passing away overnight. When the barn owner came out in the morning to feed, they saw the horses all standing around a horse that was laying, which is not a good sign. They went to check it out, saw what happened, went to get the tractor to move this horse. Those horses had stood on guard all night to protect her from predators. And the fact that they obviously knew something was really wrong with her. And when the tractor came to pick her up and take her to the Circle of Life, Circle of Life was a clearing in a wooded area that all the horses were laid to rest, and their halters were hung on their crosses. Every single horse followed that tractor, single file, down the path, and they all stood together and watched her be buried. My heart bursts every time I remember that day. They knew she was hurt, they protected her, and then they went on her last walk through the pasture. It just makes me tear up, like, every time. Okay, now I decided to answer one single question this episode, because I think it's a bit complicated to answer. I love when you folks send me questions, so don't think I don't like hearing and helping. The question says... I've been single for quite a few years now. I've tried all the dating apps, had friends set me up on dates, etc. Everything always seems good. We talk for weeks, sometimes months, but it always ends up the same with me being single and them with some other guy. This other guy always comes into the picture after we've already been talking for a while. I always offer to grab coffee, go out, check out the park, ice cream, any basic, simple, one-on-one outing, but nothing ever pans out before some other guy shows up. What am I doing wrong? Okay, so this is a very complicated question. Um, There could be so many variables at play. So as someone who has dated women, I kind of know what it's like to date them. Obviously, I'm not a man and I don't know what it's like to date straight women. Why is this even worth mentioning? Well, because I know how women can just freaking disappear sometimes, seemingly out of nowhere. So I understand the frustration. This also may not be a helpful answer, and it will probably sound really cliche, but nice guys finish last most of the time. It may be the dating culture we're in these days. You know, like dating apps make it so easy to have a huge supply of people to choose from, and it's a really easy way to ghost people. People are way more likely to ghost when they're behind a keyboard or a computer. I feel like social exchange theory comes into play in this dating culture as well, Uh, And social exchange theory is basically what happens when we evaluate the advantages and disadvantages for each relationship in our lives, not just romantic partners. We need to know that we're not giving more than we're receiving, or if we are, that it's worth it. 
And this unbalance happens often and for a number of different reasons that I'm not going to get into today. So when you meet someone on a dating app, you talk for a while, maybe even months, like you said, you might even meet up a few times, but here is where it gets a little muddy. Maybe they have things going on we don't know about. Maybe it's not always about us when things go sideways. That's one possibility. It's the it's not you, it's me thing, which I understand is very cliche, but it's a real reality. Another possibility is that maybe the more they get to know us, the more they know you're just not the one for them and someone else is for whatever reason that might be. And this is also totally normal, even though it really sucks sometimes. Why I say nice guys finish last most of the time is because there are a lot of people walking around who get uncomfy when a healthy relationship comes along and they basically end up panicking and self-sabotaging themselves. Another reason I say this is because maybe they think you're moving too slow. Not to say you should be pressuring people or like trying to run a marathon, but there are a good number of people who cannot communicate worth shit. <laughs> and maybe if they thought things were taking too long or they either assumed you weren't interested or didn't want to have a conversation about how things were going or how fast they were going or not going, that could also be a possibility. This is a super hard question to answer with so many different possibilities on why it may happen. These are just some brainstormed ideas um, of fairly common things, I think, when people are trying to mesh, mesh two different personalities and perspectives into one relationship. All I can really say for certain is that if you treat people with respect, one day someone will come along who will appreciate that. I know it is probably not the answer you want to hear, I also believe timing is super important. Sometimes you'll meet someone at the wrong time, but you cross paths a little later and it just feels like a much more natural fit. In any case, keep being respectful and don't lower your standards. All right, everybody, that is episode three of the podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them to my Instagram at psychdykepodcast. I'm trying to do my best over here to keep these rolling out. I am in the smack dab middle of a very busy semester and my life is, uh, oh, she's interesting right now to say the very least. Anyway, I hope everybody has a great day, great evening. Whenever you are listening to this, I will catch you in the next episode. Can flip it over, put me on your knees. Can do it like my money, motor.